Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking Killing Me. I'm Corinne. And I'm Rainy. Welcome to the podcast, pals. Yeah. I hope everybody is enjoying their time. I hope everyone is feeling okay relaxing. Mm. Yeah. Would you say that things have felt easier in the last few weeks or harder? Um, I think that both. Some things are easier because there's like, I mean, personally, I think that it's finally, everything is just like, oh yeah, you just like, you. it's okay if you like sleep in every day. It's like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Um, but it's also harder because it's getting nice out and you want to be outside and like doing all the things that we would regularly be doing. So yes, I think it's, you know, it's a little bit of give and take. Um, things are getting like, and we are getting more used to like not going out on Friday and Saturday nights. Um, <laughs> but I am getting tired of making food. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. tired of cooking, cooking. We're all so tired of cooking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, everyone has that one meal that they used to make all the time. That was like so good. And now like by the 17th time you're realizing it's like not that good. <laughs> The 17th time in one week yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah i think i think yeah i don't know if it's getting easier or harder what about you um i think i just like noticed time kind of moving differently maybe it feels like it's moving faster okay what do you mean by that yeah like that each day, like days, which day of the week it, it is, doesn't like matter anymore. Right. Mm. You know? Yeah. Where I'm like, eh, it could be Friday. It could be Thursday. It could be Monday. Right. doesn't matter what day I'm doing anything really. Cause I'm just like doing things when I feel like them or when they like make sense, you know? Totally. Totally. I find like, I'm, I, I really am trying to like structure like a little bit more like mm. my weekends. Like I really don't try and start drinking until like Thursday or Friday, you know? Right. And then, um, I try and like make the weekends, like weekends a little bit more. Right. Like more relaxing. More relaxing. Yeah. Mm. Which I guess is just like something I was trying to do anyway, this past year, but yeah, I just, yeah, that is, that's the thing. <sighs> yeah. I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, it also might seem like feel like a little bit more regular in your house too, because Lucas is still working, right? Totally. Yeah. So he still has kids. Yeah. He's actually like more busy now because he's doing that and doing school. So I will say, I feel like I, in terms of like me and Lucas, I'm feeling very frustrated, <laughs> frustrated because I like this week, I like have really hit a point where like everything is bothering me about him. Like, like he like oh, no. yawned the other day and I'm like why are you yawning like that he like <laughs> breathes and I'm like why why do you do that like that why and he's like whoa like I I like know I'm being crazy but like I also think yeah it's just couples either couples are at the point where it's like finally they're getting into a routine and they're used to it or they're getting to the point where they're like okay I'm done with this you know, like, like not the relationship <laughs> but like done with being like in such close proximity and then totally. it's also hard just because he is working so much and like busy. So like, I don't have, like, he's not hanging out with me. So like, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like, oh, what? You don't have all the time in the world to spend with me right now? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. 
super <laughs> weird. I need a lot more attention right now. Please and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's real. I feel like I finally like settled into a place where I am, and it just might be like security or feeling more secure, I should say. Um, where spending a lot of time by myself is finally feeling okay. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not like constantly texting or ask calling Andre being like, what are you up to now? What are you doing right now? How are you feeling? Do you want to chat for an hour? Just like, you don't have to talk to me. Just keep staying on the phone. With me. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It just like shows like it's so different for everybody, you know? Everyone oh yeah. Music. And we, I should, and I should also like tell people if they don't know, we don't live together. So it's very much like if we don't want to see each other. We are not seeing each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, this week we have Bo Lamb. Yeah. Bo was in, or was a guest on our first season, like within the first yeah, 10 episodes, six, seven episodes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she was and is amazing and is doing tons of things in and f- around and for the community in many different ways. Uh-huh. And she's so lovely. Yeah. She's killing it. So she's got a big announcement, it. um, in this intro. Oh yeah. Not heard, so stay tuned to listen for that because there's big things and really great things coming for the city of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And after we finish our short little, uh, update with her if you stay tuned her original episode is tacked on right at the end where you hear her dive into being a Raptors cheerleader and what happened when she moved out to Toronto yeah. okay well uh thank you guys for tuning in and here is Bo here we go all right Bo um thank you for joining us again it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, yes. No problem. Um, we're in quarantine. And as someone who's teaching, you were teaching a lot. Like you were running your own uh, kind of like contemporary intensive as well as teaching um, at various places. How quickly did everything um, like did quarantine make all of your classes stop? Like, did it happen within a day or did it happen within like a week or two weeks? Um, well, I actually was in the midst of heading into competition season. So when everything hit the fan, I was actually out in British Columbia about to judge a eight day dance festival in Prince George, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. So while everything was starting to increase in its um, level of intensity, I didn't find out like they, they, I just feel so awful for, you know, everybody who's been in these positions of creating these huge events and performances and, and things, and then having to just shut them down, you know? And so it, it happened really last minute and I um, changed my flights and came back to Toronto Um, but within the span of, I'd say, yeah, within the span of a matter of days, like despite many things not being official in on paper, I was mentally prepared to lose like, um, all of my spring and summer income. So I 
Yeah, I'd say within, I mean, everything was fully solidified within, I'd say a week, two at the max. Um, but I took about a, a $30,000 hit to my wow. year, yeah. year, which was um, really scary. And, and like, this was supposed to be really like, you know, along with, I know so many of us, like it was a year full of expectations and high hopes and contracts and things. And, and I felt like I come started this year with a really beautiful sense of momentum. So to have everything just come to a full stop was like really disorienting as I'm sure it is for everybody, you know? Um, and so Anyways, to come back to your actual question, <laughs> while the my teaching wasn't, you know, the first thing that was so impacted, like I, I'd say the first thing that really hit things home was um, the competitions I'd been scheduled to adjudicate. Um, but then, you know, teaching quickly followed because I got home and I was like, I don't feel safe, you know, even though at that time, technically the um, dropping classes were still running. I mean, first of all, I already subbed out all my classes with the expectation of being away. Um, and so I wasn't about to be like, can I have my classes back? <laughs> <'Cause that's> <laughs> <laughs> awkward. Um, so yeah, so I was um, kind of, I guess, safe in that perspective. But then at the same time, I was wrestling with ideas of like, well, then what am I going to do for income? Because, you know, the emergency assistance um, programming hadn't been rolled out or announced yet. So I was like in this, um, big state of fear thinking about what, you know, my finances would look like moving forward. Um, and anyways, yeah. So once things officially, uh, shut down and the studio officially was not like the studios in the city were no longer operating, um, in-person classes, I pivoted really fast within a matter of days and, and put classes up online. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it, it all happened quite quickly, but, um, I'd say my like adjudicating was like the biggest thing to be hit as opposed to my teaching. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's crazy. $30,000 pay cut for your year is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> <It's> like, uh, <laughs> I mean, like it is what it is, right? Like I, I hate using that phrase because I, I hate like surrendering control, but it's, you know, I was also gearing up for an incredibly hectic couple of months. And there was a part of me that was like, I don't know if like, you know, physically I'm going to be able to pull this off. Like it was a lot of, um, it was a, yeah, a really intense schedule that I'd had coming up. And so in some ways I'm like, well, maybe this is, you know, opportunity to kind of reevaluate what my priorities are and, and look at what I want my career um, to look like coming out on the other side of this. So, yeah. But I mean, it, initially I was like, oh my goodness, like, what am I going to do? Right. Yeah. Have you adapted like all of your, like the intensive that you were running personally, had you, did you have one coming up and did you adapt it to online courses, classes, sorry? Um, great question. So yeah, my Bose basics program, I actually like this was, I was about to expand it. I was going to run three programs, um, three, six week programs through May and June. And, um, I was like really excited, like, oh my gosh, it, since starting these little Bose basics series, like the response has been so special. And like, I, 
could live in those moments of teaching those classes. The, the students, the dancers are just so amazing. Um, just to give a quick bit of like, um, context there, um, six week contemporary dance workshops and, and primarily geared towards, um, adult dancers. So, um, the majority, I'd say the majority of students are, um, people with like, uh, you know, nine to five jobs who, who maybe danced earlier in their lives or are interested in, in learning how and, to be able to provide like an alternative or additional option in, in, um, that complements a drop in class structure with a sense of like progression and, um, mm-hmm. um, continuity is really cool. Cause you see such cool, like, oh, such inspiring progress from, from one session to the next. Um, and so, I mean, mixed in there are, are, um, adults and, and other dancers who really do want to focus on technique and fundamentals and to be able to have the time and the space to really get into the nitty gritty is just like so rewarding, I think to, to everybody involved on all levels. Um, so anyway, so yeah, the, I had three programs coming up May, June, and then I had another, I think three, yeah, another three scheduled for the fall and, um, the space was booked and I had like, I just finished like building everything up on my website and then, and then COVID hit. So, um, I actually have yet to transfer that into an online format, although it's definitely on my mind and I'm, um, really considering about considering the best way in which to do that. Um, and I think I need to connect with my, my dancers and, and see, you know, what, what their needs are. And if that's something that they'd be interested or open to, because I realize, you know, our capacity to adapt to this new normal is coming with a whole bunch of other factors that we need to be mindful of. And also just like the logistics of processing virtual content requires a really different, um, uh, process within our brains. Like it's just mm-hmm. takes a lot more energy on a cognitive level to be able to understand, you know, what's being delivered through your screen as opposed to when we're in person. Um, so there's just a lot of factors con- to consider about that. And, and then in the midst of all that, and in the midst of shifting all these things, um, I've, yeah, made some other like choices and changes in my life. And, and so those are on the table as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. I think it's so interesting, like switching to these online courses, it mm-hmm. feels like, um, I don't know. Cause I, we've been talking so much, especially in like the more experimental world about how like dance film, it's so interesting and like how things read on film versus how things don't read on film. Mm-hmm. And now it just really feels like everybody's in this party where we're like, Oh, like you feel like you have to exaggerate things because you're not in person able to connect with someone or demonstrate something. So we're all kind mm-hmm. of starting to like understand and realize that like some things read on via video and some <laughs> things don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you did like put out a bunch. I mean, I want to say first though, that it like really doesn't surprise me that your bows basics took off with such a bang because when we talked two years ago, you like mm-hmm. gushed about how you love teaching adult beginner classes and you were so enthusiastic about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, it's so funny thinking back to that interview. I'm excited. I actually haven't re-listened to it, but I, I obviously will. And it's so funny because like my entire world is in a completely different place than it was in both like, you know, personal and professional realms. And it's, um, yeah, it's pretty incredible, like just how much can change and evolve over that time period. So mm-hmm. <laughs> for uh, supporting me and <laughs> for those words of um, co- confidence. <laughs> um, something I also thought about when I listened to it, we talked a lot last time about the use of social media in video mm-hmm. when it came to dance and like in classes specifically and how you mm-hmm. in general, how people and dance instructors use film to like promote classes. Mm-hmm. And, now I feel like that's taken on a whole different, um, it's become like a whole different beast. And something that we touched on was like, there's a lack of clarity sometimes between what a professional is when everybody's putting out content for social media. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I like wonder how that's going to be avoided now or like, how is it going to be made more clear when this is the only way that we can connect and communicate right now? Right. I think that's a great question. I think, you know, I think we are in many ways, um, continuing to navigate what it means to be a professional artist and what it means to be, uh, perhaps like for lack of a better word, an, an amateur, or I don't really like the word recreational, but you know, uh, I guess you can use that word for sake of understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, as with everything, there's just so many complex pieces to it. And I, right now with the, the magnitude of classes that are available online, you know, in, in many ways, there's so many positives to that because people are able to have access to teachers and choreographers and styles that they may or may not have had access to before and, and, or they have the time and and space within their, their homes to try these styles and classes. And, and that is probably going to lead to a lot of discoveries about, you know, what people want for themselves moving forward. And, and if they want to pursue it in a professional manner, or if it's like more of a, a hobby or, you know, which, and I say that, like, I feel like sometimes we, we say that, like, it's a bad thing, you know, like, Oh, it's just a hobby. Like it's like, doesn't have as much value, but I, um, I think hobbies are so important and I think art and like, you know, within that dance is we need people who love it as, as it is. We need people who, who value the art form, um, outside of making profit or, um, you know, their livelihood from it. We need totally. that type of community and appreciation because the more people, um, have that, like the, the larger our community grows in really positive ways. And, um, I think in, in some respects, that's something that we, we struggle with in, as part of North American culture, like in, I guess I'm comparing it to European cultures where, um, art is such an integral part and an integral kind of keystone to what defines culture. And, and here it's really different. I think, um, in many ways, dance especially has been kind of, um, isolated in terms of who witnesses and supports and, and attends dance events. Um, and so I think one of the most beautiful things about, you know, the, the rise of digital content and accessibility is that it's 
opening up and connecting so many more people with this art form that we cherish so deeply. Um, and I think, you know, that's ultimately that's wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. I think it's, it is going to, yeah, it's going to affect how people, I think I'm interested to see once everything kind of is over, which who knows when that's going to be, how many people stick to, um, posting online content. Mm -hmm. Like I'm super interested in how people invest right now to be able to, um, like how many people when COVID was announced were able to like invest immediately in like a camera, like a good camera to like record stuff and how many people like cleared and set up like an at-home office or moving space, um, for themselves. Mm. But um, I'm interested to see how many people like further this way of online working and working from home mm-hmm. and like working from home. I think that's, that's more directed in terms of like people that are going into like banks and, and working those kind of day to day jobs. But um, for artists, it is going to be interesting to see how many people and fitness people too like stick to this online content. And if it just becomes like they do live classes as well as doing online content or, or what it is. In terms of like, what are the consequences or like repercussions when we move out of this sense of lockdown and quarantine and move back into whatever our new normal will be like, as in how, how many people will still be, um, creating and focused on online content? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be, especially for movers, like for dancers, it's, it's super interesting to me Yeah, how many like little dance films have popped up or people like recording in their, in their space and how many people have modified their space Mm. for that. Yeah. I hear that. I think in many ways, I guess I perceive that as like mostly like out of necessity, you know, like I think for many artists, it's like, we need this outlet. Like if we don't move our bodies, you know, like if we don't express ourselves through movement and, and especially while our world is navigating this like huge shift, like, and, and grieving in so many ways. And like, there's such a high or there's such like a, uh, subconscious undercurrent of anxiety and fear and concern and this, you know, instability of what our world is feeling like and, and the loss of our, our previous sense of structure. Like in a lot of ways, we're moving out of necessity to express something and to, to keep a sense of this thing that was so essential to us pre COVID. Mm-hmm. And so, but I, on top of that, I do think that like, I know from the conversations I've had, the biggest thing that people are missing is like, you know, that that intangible element of energy within a studio setting. Like you, there is nothing we can ever do that will be able to replace or, or match, you know, the experience of moving together in like a physical proximity to others and like the energy and the the experience we have in moving in physical connection to others. Um, and I think I know I've heard people voice concerns of like, what if we lose this? Like, what if, um, after COVID, like people only want to do things online, you know? And, and I guess I, while I hear that concern, I also just don't, part of me doesn't think that that's going to have as big as an impact 
as big of an impact as people perhaps fear it will because um because it will never be able to replicate that. But I mean, okay, sorry, as I'm saying that, I'm also like, I know as someone who loves to watch dance that nothing that nothing compares to witnessing live dance performance. But I've also I'm also able to recognize that there's been a huge shift in terms of um virtual performance content, you know? And so um yeah, right. you know, I could totally be wrong. <laughs> but I guess my hope is that we are all going to be able to maintain this, you know, awareness of and and this, you know, hole in our heart that is missing, you know, the energy element of in-person dance. And, and I also think that, you know, like in-person instruction, it has so many benefits, right? Like, um, the ability for, to, to have feedback, the ability for like hands-on correction, which, which sometimes, and in some forms is, it can be really essential. Um, so yeah, it's, it'll be, you're right. It's going to be really interesting to see how we continue to move out of this and, and restructure uh, a sense of normalcy, you know, in our lives, um, coming out of COVID. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wait and see. I kind of going off what you said just now, mm-hmm. I wonder because we'll have to open things up slowly mm-hmm. rather than like, we're not going to return to normal tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. You know? mm-hmm. So I wonder if like the scale of events and this and like the capacity for classes and those kind of things will just shift mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. dance performances will become more intimate yeah. and smaller and not in big proscenium theaters, they'll kind of like move into, you know, more interesting spaces and be adapted in a way like that, that becomes more accessible mm-hmm. to other people. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a really big conversation happening right now about, um, there was an article circulating on, on like Facebook on the, on the internet <laughs> a while ago, mm-hmm. is, um, about how, you know, so many performance performing arts center around the, the, the request for assembly. We're asking people to come and, and be in their space with strangers in close proximity. And that's a huge element of live performance. And so there's this like conversation being had about when we start to come out of this, how can we do that? How can we ask people who, you know, are probably really afraid in a lot of ways to come and be around other people again. How are we going to need to evolve our practices um, in ways that match, you know, the needs of the, the public and or our audiences? And I think that's something that a lot of artists are grappling with as they move through this in terms of like exactly what you said, the impact on on their practice and the impact on what art looks like and and how it's going to change and i think some in some ways some changes may be permanent and then in other ways they might be temporary as we continue to work back up to a place where people feel uh confident and safe and and it's allowed <laughs> to gather in large numbers and um yeah i uh so Wait, do you guys, sorry, <laughs> do you guys have a question? Like, cause I, um, 
I've got a, I've been working on something really special with a friend and I'd love to chat about it, but I don't want to like sidetrack the convo. (laughs) No, no. What is it? (laughs) Well, um, my co-founder slash good friend, Nicole Rossov and I have made the decision to open up a new studio (laughs) in Toronto. Wow. Yeah. Like a physical studio? Like a physical studio, like a (laughs) real deal thing. (laughs) But the way in which we're going about it's something we've talked about for a few years now. And then in light of all of this and kind of what we were witnessing and, and some choices that we witnessed in the community, we thought, you know, we really need to honor our, um, instincts and, and start moving on this concept. And so we developed our plan for Oasis Studios <laughs> and um, we're launching it uh, in the next week or two and as an online hub and community. And it's um, a subscription-based uh, online class uh, format that uh, includes dance, fitness, yoga, and meditation classes. And then the goal is to expand into a physical space, you know, when we have a a clearer concept of, um, you know, what this timeline looks like in terms of, of returning to a sense of normalcy and or reopening uh, the world (laughs) as it may be. Um, Mm -hmm. And so in the process of developing our, um, (laughs) our business and our, our baby, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, we've been thinking about a lot of these questions in terms of, you know, what does that look like? Because we're anticipating that for a while, you know, while some people may be allowed to return to work, you know, gathering in large numbers in close proximity is probably going to take, you know, a long time. We're probably not realistically going to be able to do that until we have a vaccine available and really, um, you know, convenient and uh, highly accessible testing procedures. So, you know, how we need to be, we need to be prepared to respond accordingly and navigate that transition. And that might mean, you know, continuing to offer online classes as we, as we build into a physical space. Um, And yeah. And so it's, it's forced us to embody a sense of flexibility into our planning. And, um, I think that in itself is like a really valuable lesson, you know, when you look at all of these, um, businesses and and operations and events that have had to come to a full stop in light of this pandemic moving forward. I'm also curious, you know, how those protocols and procedures and, and things like contracts are going to change to reflect, you know, this new reality of, of, this feeling of needing to be prepared for something on such a global scale. So yeah, it brings up like a lot of really interesting questions, you know, and observations of, of just how we as a global community are going to move forward um, and what we're going to choose to to keep from this experience. And then what we're going to, you know, be really excited to, to get rid of. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting year. I think that 
Uh, it's going to take some time for things to get back on track. Mm. And yeah, how we kind of adapt. I think that's amazing, though. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. That's great. Um, <laughs> can I ask what what was the motivation to kind of open your own space? Mm. Uh, great question. <laughs> Deep breath. I'm like, uh... Mm-hmm. I think our primary motivating factors in, in making this choice was really that we felt our community was lacking a space that was, that was accessible and warm and safe. Um, I think that there's a lot of places in the city right now that, are operating with more of like a um, choosing my words carefully here, <laughs> more of like a, a, a power over structure. And I recognize like, you know, within the mindset of business, you know, there are so many tough decisions that need to be made, but I do think this moment, especially, you know, within a pandemic where there is a really high risk of, of danger, you know, to, to physical and mental health, the choices that we're making as, as business people and, or just as humans within a collective community, they need to be done in a really conscientious way. And they need to be done in a really, um, a really fair, thoughtful way. And, and we, we just questioned if the choices that we were witnessing were the best practices that could be made at this time. And in light of that, we felt like we had the ability to create positive change in the community that we care so deeply about. And, you know, we've structured this set of core values that really prioritizes respect and transparency, um, you know, both with our, our staff and with our dancers, our, our clients, you know, and, and I think these values that we've brainstormed and, and solidified are so essential to creating the world that we ultimately want to see. Um, in terms of ensuring our space is safe and all bodies are welcome and, um, you know, there's, there's room for everybody. So, and, and that those things can be accomplished in ways that are, um, mindful of what everyone's facing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. I, I think that it's like really even though it's fe- it might feel like a terrible time to start yeah. a new venture. It's a little bit wild. And this probably gives you, yeah, it gives you time to like really build a customer base. Yeah. A client base. Yeah. And Sorry. like do all that kind of stuff before you like move into a space and have like rent. Exactly. You know, that's the other, that was definitely, you know, in terms of logistics and practicalities, that was a really big factor as well. It's, this is an opportunity to see if we can rise to the challenge and, and really strongly develop, you know, a brand and tap into our market and gather, you know, a really clear, strong database of, of, you know, people. <laughs> and then, you know, 
potentially we're able to come out of this on the other side and, and say, look, we literally have everything. All we need is the space. And that puts us in, you know, potentially a really great position to be able to, to do that with, um, a really strong foundation. So. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I also think that this is going to like this kind of like shift in the world is what's going to rock like those big companies that are, if we talk, if we're talking dance studios that are really like power from the top down, it's going to rock their structure and they have to adjust. Yeah, I think so too. I think we're seeing that in a lot of different um, areas right now in terms of how people are, you know, looking at their power structures and, and, and kind of working hierarchy. And, and if that's what's serving people to the best of their ability. And I think in some ways it's not. So it's looking at, you know, what works and what doesn't, and then giving ourselves permission to rebuild things in a way that, that work best for everybody. Hopefully. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. I think that's a great place to end it. Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, well, congratulations, Congrats. Bo and Oasis okay. Studios. Thank you. So exciting. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, helping me, uh, or giving me this invitation to have this platform and, and share it publicly in such a big way. No, that's amazing. And I think, I mean, it's going to be very successful. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, as you guys know, the rest of Bo's episode from two years ago is going to be tacked on and it's going to be coming up right after this. And you can find Bo on Instagram, on her website at love.mingbo, L-O-V-E dot M-I-N-G-B-O on Instagram. And then my website is mingbolam, M-I-N-G-B-O-L-A-M.com. And if I can plug Oasis as well, um, you can find our Instagram, um, Oasis Studios and that's one S in the middle there. So yeah. Oh, and O A Y S I S. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just to make it cute. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bo. And hope you guys enjoy the next episode and let us know what you thought. If you're liking this format, what you think, and keep going. Thank you. Thanks, Bo. Thank you guys. Do you want to start with like an origin story? Oh, yes. As per your helpful <laughs> prompt this morning, <laughs> I told you. which yeah. obviously I uh, thought about in great depth. Origin story. I That's tough because I, I think I've just always been moving and grooving forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember dancing around our living room all the time as a kid. Uh my parents raised us on like mostly classical music with like a couple of Beatles CDs, one Queen CD, one Michael Jackson CD, and one CD <laughs> that was this like mix of like Beach Boys top hits. And so those were my tunes for the first little bit of my life. <laughs> we had some great um, like compilations of classical ballets that Mm. I would create my own variations to. Um, Yeah, I was never, I grew up um, on a, in a town on Vancouver Island. So it wasn't like competitive dance like here. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so I think that was maybe a little bit different. I feel lucky to have been able to train with teachers that allowed us to have creative play in our classes as well. And um, I didn't start doing, you know, more technical ballet until I was, I think, in grade, I guess, kindergarten, grade one, grade two. Um, but it wasn't like I was three years old and doing drills. I was right. Like three years old, like running around the studio with a scarf. <laughs> <laughs> Loving it. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you went to Ryerson. And then I went to Ryerson. Yep. Did you move to Toronto right out of high school, like 18? No, I took a year after high school. I, um, <laughs> I'm like, how, how personal do I make this storytelling? Um, when I was in grade 12, I tried to move away from home for dance. Mm. Uh, and I went to an incredible program in Vancouver for three months. And then I tapped out because I just mentally, which program? <laughs> I have like it's ideas in my head. It's a great program. It's at Arts Umbrella in yes. Vancouver. Um, it was, you know, I'd done their summer program before and my best friend uh, went there and I was really excited to do this, you know, half a day of high school, half a day of training thing. And I, but I think I didn't really anticipate the challenges of leaving my family and living with another family and, um, and grade 12 and feeling that pressure of like grades. And I'd been with the same kids since like preschool, yeah. <laughs> you know, in my small town and to all of a sudden be in Vancouver and faced with just such an overwhelming amount of change and feeling like I was very alone in that was, was really hard. So, um, yeah, I, Took a time out from all things dance for a little while after I moved back home and called it quits. Uh, but I couldn't stay away. So mm-hmm. then I started training again. And that was, a um, again, a crazy challenging process because by the time I kind of figured, what I, figured out how I was feeling and what I wanted to do and went back into class, by then um, my, like, everyone else in my class was, you know, so much stronger and, and I was significantly behind technically. So that created a whole bunch of other kind of psychological insecurity, like insecurities and frustrations. Uh, yeah. And so then I graduated and I decided to take a year to just kind of continue to get back on my feet. And, uh, I looked at different universities like York and Ryerson. I loved how Ryerson was right downtown. I'd always dreamed about like living in a big city and like, I mean, Vancouver at that time was challenging, but like Vancouver and Toronto are very different oh, places yeah, right. and we're, cultures. And we're both, we've built on the small town to big city moves. So yeah. Like, we get that. Yeah. yeah. Country mouse. Yeah. <laughs> always feeling like you're on the outside looking in. A little bit. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, yeah, I, I loved that Ryerson was right downtown and, um, I, I flew out to audition. Um, I'll never forget like Nadia Potts yelling at me as I went across the floor, like fly, <laughs> bow, fly. And I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> here I go. <laughs> um, and I, I like, as soon as I stepped into that old theater school, like I was like, Oh, I want, I want to go here. Um, yeah. So then I moved here uh in 2007 
and loved it. Like I was so excited. It, um, again, it was a bit of kind of a culture shock because so many of the people in my class had grown up in such competitive right. like studios and stuff. And they're so talented and they can do like aerials, mm-hmm. which I will never be able to do. <laughs> I just accepted that as not my thing. Um, yeah. And I think my background was just a little bit different, but um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then Ryerson and then graduated. I took another little break from dancing after I graduated from Ryerson as well. I felt like I needed a little breather. How long was that break? Almost a year. I was taking um, some acting classes afterwards. I really found that we had a couple of acting courses at Ryerson near the end. Um, I guess I can't remember if it was third year and fourth year or just fourth year because I'm old, so I don't remember anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I loved acting class and I um, really appreciated like just the honesty of the process. And I think I'd gotten to this place in dance where I was so consumed by anxiety and like criticizing what I looked like and what I thought I was doing. And I just felt really stuck. And so when I graduated, I kept going with some acting classes to just kind of have some kind of artistic creative outlet. Um, and I also found that, um, I mean, the classes I was taking after I graduated were with, uh, John Boylan and so much of what he, you know, the points that he gives throughout class, I found applied so beautifully to life as well. I can't give you a specific example as I'm thinking right now. I'm like, I don't even know what that would be, but I think just the way like of that sense of being so present and Mm -hmm. being so open and Mm -hmm. those things really hit home with me. Um, yeah. And then I ended up having, uh, getting a, an interview with an agent and, and I was, I was in this meeting with him. He was talking to me about like what my options might be and, um, and like how much work I'd have to do if this was something I wanted to pursue, which is really, um, be an actor. Actress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I remember thinking like, Oh, that's exhausting. Like who would put that much energy and effort into something? The only thing I'd ever do that for is dancing. And then I was like, Oh, Oh no. Oh. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I miss it. It's time. <laughs> and so then I started again and then I just decided to kind of jump in. I emailed a few people, um, and just said like, hi, I want to dance. Can I dance with you? <laughs> and um, I ended up doing um, a fringe show that summer. And then that was the first year I auditioned for Raptors. So I ended up doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, everything just kind of kept building. Building. Cool. Yeah. Slow snowball. So you said you were feeling really vulnerable after university and you weren't feeling like you wanted to dance anymore. Do you think the reason was because of university? Do you think it was personally... I think it was, um, a little bit of, of both. Mm-hmm. I think in hindsight, um, and especially in recent years, I've done a lot of, uh, work kind of addressing and exploring my, uh, personal anxiety. And I think that in hindsight, like that had a really huge impact. Mm-hmm. Although at the time I just thought it was me being realistic, you know, right. like there's always been a really strong voice in my head that tells me that I'm not good enough and, you know, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. all the things that we say to ourselves. And I think 
at the end of university, I really just, I told myself I was being realistic and I was just like, you know what? You're not good enough. You never will be like, just call it a day. Like, you know, just stop, reevaluate what your strengths are and, uh, and then figure out, you know, where you can go back to school and find a new path. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's so funny because that thought has like come up, you know, other times too, but it was really in, in that, like those last months of, of university where I was like, no, like it's just time, you know, just. Do you remember like specific instances where that was more present or was it just like a general feeling for you? Hmm, That's a good question. I feel like it's just kind of a general feeling Mm -hmm. and it's interesting even, um, the first year that I did Raptors, I, the audition fell on the same day as our closing performances for fringe. So I went to the audition and then I made the first round and then I had to leave cause I had to go do the show. So I what, remember I went in and I went up to the panel and, um, and I went to Amberly and I was like, ah, in front of all these people. And I was like, I have to go. And I felt so bad because I was really excited by that point. And, um, and, uh, yeah. And I wanted to make a good impression. I was like, Oh my gosh, who just leaves it? I was like, I I have a show. Like I have to leave. And somehow by like a lot of luck and, um, some good friends, they ended up calling me in for an interview and I ended up getting the spot anyways. Um, but I'll never forget like showing up for the first rehearsal and being like, oh my gosh, like I didn't earn this. You know what I mean? Like I didn't make it to the end because the girls were like, oh, we like didn't see you at the end. I was like, no, I had to leave. I had to show up. Ooh, like, oh, that's so awkward. <laughs> oh, and and then I, and I just felt like, in, you know, because it can go either way. Like it can be like, yay, I, I got this thing. I didn't do the whole mm. process, but I really felt it like um, you know, I don't deserve to be here. Like I didn't earn it. I didn't, I didn't go through all the necessary steps and like, how do I even know that I'm capable of being here? And then all that doubt was like flooding my body and we like had our first rehearsal and I was like, Oh my God, like it's so fast. All these hair flips and like (laughs) everyone's so cool and beautiful. And like, Oh my gosh, it was so scary. Yeah. (laughs) That's so interesting that you talk about that as like having feeling like an imposter. Right. I was literally just talking to my mom about like imposter syndrome and so um, real, so real. And I, and I, yeah, it's so crazy how, even though, you know, I, I am proud of, to have this, um, really nice collection of, of work that I've done over the past few years. But like, even with that, there's so many times where I, like we'll be in rehearsal like oh my gosh what am I doing here do <laughs> right. I even know anything right, right. I think yeah. everybody can relate to that I think so yeah. too yeah. yeah everybody has a little bit of not feeling like they belong and mm-hmm. even if the movement isn't feeling good on your body you feel like that right yeah. you're yeah. just having an off day like you're like yeah. oh, I'm yes. tired yeah or sick mm-hmm. I'm just not getting this. not in my mm-hmm. own body right so like amplifies those feelings. Yeah. All that, at the same time. Being like foreign or like just not. Yeah. Mm. But I do think that it makes me appreciate and uh, yeah, 
amplifies my gratitude for those moments where I do feel so present and Mm -hmm. like I do belong and like oh yes like this my body is safe here Mm -hmm. like this is my jam (laughs) has dance become more of a safe space for you over the years um yes I think that as I've become more comfortable in creating uh my own sort of vocabulary and my own sense of self within dance it's definitely become significantly more safe Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that also helps when I go into classes or situations where you know it feels new and scary (laughs) um it allows me to stay grounded in like the fact that I do still have value you know Mm -hmm. there's still worth there Mm -hmm. right it's different Mm -hmm. uh speaking more on the raptors how long did you dance with them for I did two seasons I did um 2012 2013 and then I took two years off and then um my friends encouraged me to come back for 2015 2016 when all-star yeah weekend (laughs) slash madness was happening right (laughs) yeah um so you're not with them this year no 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 I'm officially retired I've hung up my boots right (laughs) so what how did that decision come about Um, because that's a huge contract that's yeah and I really loved it like I I know I think um you know different types of dance serve people differently for different reasons at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, the first year that I did it, I felt really conflicted, kind of like what I was saying before, but like, I didn't feel like I'd really earned it. I like mm-hmm. felt really kind of outside, but I wanted to belong. And I, um, yeah, I think what I loved most about it was that sense of community, um, not just with like the girls and the dance pack, but outside of that this like huge sports fan community Mm -hmm. feeling which I'd never been part of before like sports were so terrifying and (laughs) intimidating and I I never went to any sporting events really well well for a while when I was younger I went to a few football games but um like basketball was new to me everything was new and to be in an arena with like that many people like united for this cause and like basketball like it's not just a canadian sport it's like an international well not international national basketball league nba Mm -hmm. it's big it is it's really big and i think i really appreciated um especially being so close like the artistry and the technicality of their form and the athleticism and this um like strategizing of the plays all of that I'd never seen it in that light before and Mm -hmm. that was really special to finally kind of understand why people cared so much about sport (laughs) (laughs) I was like oh this is why people get so into it um yeah I loved it I've gone on a tangent you did have a question oh just why did you decide to leave leave yeah well, the first time I decided to stop um, was because I wanted to put on a show. And so I and I knew I couldn't juggle all of the things I was doing and mm-hmm. create what I wanted to. So that was that one. And then 2015, 2016, it was such a like perfect season. And I considered doing it again. I um, 
a lot of my friends on the team were leaving and they, cause they'd done it all the way through. So they'd been like five years in, they were like, okay, we're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can't throw any more t-shirts. And, um, <laughs> and I was like, I love throwing t-shirts, but <laughs> I think I also, I was still ready for some kind of change, but I wasn't sure what that was. And I, I think I was also a little bit, um, concerned that if I stayed with it, I might get stuck. And I don't know if that's really valid. There's definitely times where I regret like not doing it for one more season Mm -hmm. um, just because I I really enjoyed it. And the like the confidence and that it gave me was really, um, really special. And I think also that can like you mentioned, it's a big contract and it's Mm -hmm. really rare to find work like that in this city where you are constantly, constantly for like basically a full year in rehearsal and performing you know, every single mm-hmm. week, every week. Yeah. And so and to you know go, your schedule you, the entire year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, until playoffs and then it's just a mess, <laughs> <laughs> but no one cares because it's all like fighting. Yeah. Um, but I, what I was going to say is I think what really benefited, what I found really beneficial was this constant process of you get this new routine. The choreo for me was always so challenging just because it's not how my body like instinctively wants to move. It's Mm -hmm. really specific and sharp and, um, it's quick. Um, Amberly is still the choreographer and, um, she does these like transfers of weight that go from like one leg on the same, I don't know how to explain it, but like (laughs) it always was really challenging for me. So (laughs) it felt really nice also by the end of that season to have like a handle on her style too. (laughs) Um, and yeah, but this process of like getting this movement that feels impossible, like, Oh my God, how am I going to master this and not be this random wild card going in the wrong direction (laughs) in front of all of hair whipping in the opposite direction direction. (laughs) or like falling like oh gosh I I was always so so nervous um but then and then to practice and then get it and then perform it and celebrate it and get to celebrate it with all of these beautiful women and Mm -hmm. um and then go on and repeat that process and to be able to do that continually I found that was so helpful just in as like a general life metaphor you know what I mean like mm-hmm. you you get something it feels impossible you practice you get better you celebrate you do it again you yeah, know totally. yeah and I think because now my work is so <laughs> sporadic and like all over the place sometimes you have a million things sometimes you have nothing and to create for yourself the, that same process is is challenging right so but it, important to be reminding yourself all the time that we're capable of that. Totally. Yeah. Right. Um, how do you find you're getting most of your work these days? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, specifically, let's, I want to talk about Mixie. Mixie was a dream. Okay. Oh my God. It was so fun. Um, it's the first time I ever choreographed a play. Yeah, so like cool. imposter syndrome was rampant. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? Um, but that one, I, I've done some work with Fujian Theater mm-hmm. um, previously. They're Toronto's um, Asian Canadian theater company. And uh, they're amazing. They've done some really great work. And uh, David Yi, who's the artistic director, is uh, the same mix as me, half Chinese, half Scottish. I mean, I'm Scottish, British, blah, 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 but mm-hmm. basically the same mix. So like we have a nice little bond there. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so he invited me on board 
for Mixie. And um, it was so cool to have this whole cast and crew that was almost entirely Mixies, <laughs> which is, I guess, our official term now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the uh, director, director, Jenna Rogers, um, was just wonderful to work with. I've like always wanted a big sister and I feel like I got really close to having one through that Aww. process, which is cool. <laughs> um, yeah. And like the cast was fantastic. We had two lead um, actors and then they each had this like kind of shadowy blonde figure which was played by a dancer and they had a pink jacket and they had pink yeah. yeah all the blondes were like bl matching blonde wigs and matching pink jackets and then we had three um other chorus blondes who were fantastic and so we got to create this um world for, of adventure for Mixie and Trixie to go on a cultural identity discovery journey <laughs> yeah that's cool um mm -hmm. did you it's like within that process obviously it's super important to you like representation and mm -hmm. finding yourself or finding space being someone with uh mixed, mixed background yeah, yeah. Background. yeah it was really interesting because we'd all had so many different experiences and mm -hmm. i think it was really cool to be confronted with these questions and and differences and think about my own childhood and uh, and yeah my experiences being mixed because it's so different even just from my sisters um and who and uh my sister actually was able to come see the play and it was so cool because we got to talk about it and and um it was just so interesting to have these conversations mm -hmm. that we hadn't had before um and I think some things that made big impacts were where people grew up in terms of like smaller communities mm -hmm. or bigger cities mm -hmm. uh, and just who else was around. I mean, Nanaimo, when I was a kid, I, it's strange because I was never really super uh, conscious of being mixed. Like when mm -hmm. I was younger, I thought my name was cool. Like yeah. <laughs> I was, I was, I was chill with it. Um, but I also think that it can depend like, um, how you present. Like I look, I can look relatively Caucasian depending on, you know, how I do my hair, like how tanned I am, <laughs> you know? And, um, so depending on what features are more predominant, that will significantly affect how your experience is as well. Um, yeah, but we had some really interesting questions that were raised about just kind of where you feel like you belong. Do you feel like you belong equally with both sides of your family? Do you feel more comfortable with one side of your family or the other? And then why is that? Mm -hmm. um, and so those were really interesting things to just kind of reflect on and journal on. And wow. yeah. Um, being mixed, you find that it's affected you negatively or positively as an artist in terms mm. of like auditioning or in terms of getting work or in terms of not getting work? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, and obviously this is just my like personal experience. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, something that I remember thinking about when I was doing those acting classes was um, one of my best friends is an actor as well. And uh, she started the classes with me and then kept going. She's now like a real actor. <laughs> um, um, and uh, she's a beautiful, tall, blonde um and uh, 
I remember having a kind of a recognition early on that, you know, the types of roles that she's going to go for and the people she's going to get to represent are going to be very different from what I would probably do if I were to go right into mm -hmm. that direction. So that was something that I was always really aware of. Um, and in terms of dancing, I, I think less mixed, more like body type has been okay. more of a yes. impact on mm -hmm. my, I feel that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. feel you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think with Raptors, um, being mixed maybe was helpful because they, they do a really nice job at trying to showcase the diversity of the city. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, they, the team. they think about representation a lot when they, they cast. Yeah. yeah Cause really... it's commercial. And because yeah. just like the city of Toronto is so mm -hmm. diverse, they want to. And right. basketball, like look also, at the yeah, communities yeah. that basketball is like, you know, really totally. popular in, mm -hmm. right. You want to represent your fans. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and to just be like accessible to as many people as possible. Yeah. yeah Especially right? cause I mean, we did a lot of, um, I know I'm jumping back to Raptors, but they do a lot of really great, like community outreach things and, mm -hmm. and basketball clinics and stuff like that. And so it's really nice to have faces that represent and reflect the kids that are attending Coming these in. clinics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think that was helpful there. Um, and I really appreciated being able to like connect with Chinese basketball fans and be like, yes, like Ningbo Lam, here I am. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, in regards to dancing, I, I don't think my ethnicity has had an impact really if at all. If anything, it's been positive in terms of helping me. Um, like this past summer, uh, I had the honor of participating in the Soul Pepper Shen Development Series. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, that was for Asian identifying artists mm -hmm. to create work. And, uh, so, I mean, that was helpful in that regard. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think in terms of dancing specifically, yeah, I'd say more like body type, like my body is not a dancer's body, you know, right. like in terms of feet and legs and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, talking about representation, do you feel like as an artist that it's part of your duty to be representative because you're a person of color? Mm. You know, do you think about that a lot? I think about that a lot more now than yeah. I used to. Mm -hmm. And I also, I mean, I, I think another thing about Mixie is that like it's really – helped me look at my own privilege in that regard as well because as um a mixed person who presents more as caucasian right i'm certainly not experiencing anywhere near to the discrimination or prejudice that other people especially other artists of color would be mm -hmm. um and so i think it's important i feel it's important to add my voice um, in solidarity mm -hmm. and in support of everyone who's on this journey. Um, yeah, but I think it's important to do so in a way that recognizes the privilege that I'm coming from as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Totally. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you've done a lot of commercial work. Yeah. And you, but you're <laughs> yeah. kind of like... <laughs> Which you're is, veering, you're veering all over the place. I know it's a little mixed bag of random things. 
That's I like what it. my career it's great. is. Yeah. Thanks, guys. You I like it too. You I think, and it's funny because I think about that like when I was journaling on on Mixie and and what that means and belonging and what that means. You know, those themes of being one or other as opposed to being able to be both is mm-hmm, something yes. that I think is present within the arts community as well, mm-hmm. especially people now. Tr- people mm-hmm. try to like pigeonhole you or yeah. to like yeah. put you in a box so right. they can understand you yeah. or Because people want to understand. They want yeah. to, they want yes. things to make sense. They yeah. want to know, oh, this is so-and-so. They're they, commercial dancers. They do that. They do that. They do that thing. And this person does that, that thing. And that makes sense to me. <laughs> yes. I and truly I, believe the most interesting dance we have lately is mm-hmm. the fusion that's being created between yeah. all the different types of forms and mm. commercial dancers with contemporary dancers with, yeah. you know, jazz, classically trained jazz dancers. Being with, collaborative. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's creating all new genres. It is. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think to witness this like coming together of, right. of cultures and genre, dance genres, mm-hmm. techniques, um, and training. I think it's, can be challenging because I know some people feel really passionately about, you know, the um, foundations of certain techniques and, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't always work when it's being pulled together Mm -hmm. with other things. So yeah, it is interesting seeing because everything is coming together. And I think for many people um, to find like as consistent and steady work as possible, being able to have such a diverse range is really important but I do think that there is still value in being like, you know, a super master of one style and really pouring your heart into that. I think I think people maybe sometimes, especially when you're training right now and you're taking all of these different styles. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to recognize and remember that like you don't necessarily have to. Like there is strengths mm-hmm. within that, but like there's also an important have to be everything. You don't have to be everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, no one can really be everything. No, it's yeah. So it's like a fine relationships, balance. right? Yeah. You can't be everything to one person. You mm-hmm. have to have like diverse yeah. friend groups. You have to have people that offer different things. Mm-hmm. You have to offer different things to people. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Or else it's going to be exhausting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there's maybe also like on that note is, you know, different things serve different purposes for us and, you can still train in many styles and um, you don't necessarily have to like be a professional in all of those styles. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's sometimes something that we forget sometimes because there's definitely value in learning so much, but like, what do you do with that information is is different for everyone. Yeah. For fun. Do you you think that the reason that people are finding like they need to do a bunch of different disciplines instead of just one, like Mm -hmm. you were talking about is because the city of Toronto has not as much work as other big cities such as New York or LA. I think so. That dancers have to, to book as much work as they need to, to survive. Mm -hmm. They need to be as adaptable as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely see that's a huge factor in it. Right. Um, I know that, I mean, if you told me when I was like 18 that I was going to be a cheerleader, I would have been like, ew, no. <laughs> I was like so appalled. And um, <laughs> and I dreamed my whole life of being in some like modern company, right. like with some like, 
nine to five, like rehearsal schedule, <laughs> which isn't a thing at all. <laughs> hasn't, hasn't been a thing since the eighties. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Dancing in my unitard. Like, I don't know. So Martha. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I realized that that probably was not going to happen, then I started thinking, okay, what else is available to me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, things that factor into that are body type and what my strengths are. And mm-hmm. I mean, I am a, decent cheerleader. (laughs) Um, that's just good entrepreneurship though. Yeah. I think that the problem with, I mean, university programs sometimes is that they teach all these artists how to, the skills that they need, Mm -hmm. but then they leave. They don't teach them how to be entrepreneurs within Mm -hmm. their own careers. Yeah. And they don't teach you networking. Yeah. They don't teach you. That was something I really And you're clearly a very like charming, charismatic person that people (laughs) are drawn to that (laughs) you booking a cheerleading gig is, it seems very natural for us, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're very smiley and lovely. I appreciate that. I mean, I felt like, I felt a lot of shame when I like yeah. bugged that first contract. So I was like, this because goes the, again. Just the word cheerleader. Yeah. yeah. And, and immediately and some people would look at that, like contemporary yeah. dancers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. pigeonhole, you know, yeah, to make you out just be just one type of person. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it makes me that much more thankful that I had that experience because not only with the, like the work and the, um, the dancing part, but just also getting to know all of those women on that team who I definitely would have thought other things about just, Mm -hmm. you know, because we judge everyone all the time, (laughs) you know? And, and so I'm so thankful that I had my eyes opened so beautifully to like how intelligent and, you know, dedicated these Mm -hmm. women are to their performance and their craft. And Yeah. So talking about your idea of like a dance or like a career in dance would have been a company before you <laughs> yeah. know, when you were younger. Yeah. In my uh, unitard. In your unitard. <laughs> um, your idea of being like a successful artist has obviously changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it still is, you know, I think, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think right now it's guiding that um, definition of success is, you know, being able to create and or be part of work that you know is feeding something in my soul and and teaching me something new challenging me mm-hmm. um helping me question and um develop you know as an artist uh and then there is a financial element as well because <laughs> yeah. right. i am fully dependent on my dance work and you know so being able to navigate that is also um has been a bit of an adventure mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to be able to be part of work that is as fulfilling as what I've done has been is really incredible. So that's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. All right. So what other work are you doing right now? Cause you said you're, you're just dependent on your dancing. Mm-hmm. You don't have a side gig. I don't have a side gig. Right. So what other <laughs> ways are you, are you using your, uh, your art to make money? Know, right? <laughs> Um, well, each month is an adventure. Mm -hmm. Um, currently I'm in rehearsals for a show coming up on May 5th. Mm -hmm. So I can plug that into this little, (laughs) it's called Din of Shadows. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, uh, let me preface this by saying two years ago, I, or last year. Oh my gosh. When was that? I think it's two years ago. I, in the fall, I had the pleasure of being part of this, um, composing for dance, uh, 
program at U of T for their music department. They had, um, yeah, sorry. I actually, we did that last year. Did you with Jenna? With Jenna. Oh, yeah. 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 Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So composing for dance and, um, they had 12 composers who were currently doing their masters and then a bunch of uh, choreographers. And through that, it, oh my gosh, it was so cool. Like Mm -hmm. these composers are phenomenal and the other choreographers, they're just wonderful people. Um, and so, uh, that was super fun. And then one of those composers is producing uh, Din of Shadows with um, Angela. Sorry, his name is Quinn Jacobs. Mm-hmm. And then Angela Bloomberg is uh, doing the choreography. Who She's wonderful. Oh, my gosh. I'm such a fan. I like <laughs> so excited when they asked me to do it. Um, and so, yeah, May 5th, it's at Array Music, which is um, kind of Queen and Niagara on Walnut Street. Mm-hmm. Um and it's all live music. There's two pieces. So uh, one is by Quinn and the other one is by uh, ah, Julia. I'm blanking on her last name. I'm so okay. sorry. But we'll put a link we, somewhere. We yeah. put <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Um, and uh, yeah, they're great. Yeah. So I'm stoked for that. I think it's uh, 7 o'clock and 9.30. Cool. I, might, nice. I should have researched this better. I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> So you're doing a show, are you teaching at all? Yes, I teach at the Underground on Thursdays. Um, I'm also currently teaching at uh, Joy of Dance. I teach some teenagers there, which I was also really nervous about. I was like, oh my God, teenagers! (laughs) But they're really great kids. I love teaching kids, for the most part. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. Like all kids, all ages? I teach all the way from 3 to 13. That's amazing. So I sometimes I like the three year olds more than thirteen year olds, and sometimes it's the opposite. Yeah, but depends on the mood. Depends on how they walk <laughs> yeah. into class. Right. Oh my gosh, I'd love yeah. to to get better at teaching younger children. Mm-hmm. I think I've just been. Yeah, that's my first class that. on Saturdays. Twenty four, mm-hmm. four to five or uh, four to five year olds. Wow. Also, like the yeah, fact I that they let you teach twenty four kids at once <laughs> boggles my mind every time. I have an assistant. I have an assistant. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of them. It's crazy. Oh um, so you're teaching the undergrad. What do you teach mm-hmm. there? I teach contemporary. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got two, just two classes right now. I had some more, and then with. Oh yeah, I've also gone back to school recently. Oh, <laughs> so I was doing some school stuff, and then with everything happening, I uh, got rid of a few of my classes there just because it was too much to juggle. Mm-hmm. Um, so currently just two classes, contemporary, but intermediate and advanced, uh, on, at two thirties at two thirty on Thursdays. Mm-hmm. And then I have beginner contemporary at four o'clock. Cool. And, uh, I love beginner contemporary, like so fun. I love teaching like non-dancers, yeah. you know, that, Oh, it's so, they're so wonderful. They bring in so much like excitement. They're so eager. They learn mm-hmm. so much and just witnessing them connect with their bodies and the music. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. so cool. Especially when they're they like amazing. finally get something. Yeah. 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 So rewarding. Yeah. I love it. I love them. <laughs> mm-hmm. awesome. um, how long have you been teaching for the underground? I just started there last August. So yeah, not even so a not year that yet. long. Mm-hmm. So in like the new building. The new building. Yeah, they have like a million studios over there. It's crazy. I haven't been in the new building at all. Well, let me know if you'd like to come to class. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, How do you feel about, because Underground opened that new building Mm -hmm. and then Millennium came in in the the last 
Yes. So have you noticed uh, maybe like a drop in oh, students? Yeah. Have you noticed a drop in level? Mm, good what questions. have been your thoughts from the inside? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can really speak to that because I really am just there for my classes. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. And it's one of those things where I, like I'm not really part of that industry mm-hmm. i'm dance studio industry yeah mm-hmm. and like the um yeah like that part of the toronto dance community i'm like mm-hmm. friends with many people in there but like yeah. i don't i'm not really immersed in it um i think so far everyone's doing well mm-hmm. <laughs> i think that what people are liking about millennium is like their guest um, instructors and stuff that they bring in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've heard that like lots of people teaching there appreciate how once they're on faculty at Millennium in Toronto, I believe that also means they can teach at their other locations around the world. Oh, wow. So oh, that's a good opportunity. Yeah. Super helpful. Like, don't, yeah. I guess I, that might need to be fact-checked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's a rumor I've heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's really neat, especially for people who are like looking to go to LA more and right. stuff like that. Um, yeah, but I think um, Aaron, who owns the Underground, did a really great job. I think he brought that studio to Toronto right when um, we needed it. Right. So, How old is the Underground? Yeah. Uh, oh gosh, I, I want to say like four, five—not five, three, four years old. Yeah, it's. I yeah, feel like, still relatively new. I feel like it would have just opened up before I moved. Like it really? Yeah, like so maybe four years. Mm-hmm. We could probably Google that, but because there's four, <laughs> there's four studios that people can train at now as professional dancers or beginner dancers in the city. Right? There's Dance Life, Metro Movement, Millennium, and Underground City Dance Core. City, city Dance Core is five, and GMD right. if that counts. Yeah, it's not like a. I would a say GMD is more just like, like a class. Mm, than yeah, a, yeah. There's like five main mm-hmm. studios mm-hmm. that offer. Professional level, professional level, professional level. Yes, to mm-hmm. the to the everyday person. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. Someone who was that? Someone was telling me the other day, like the other day, a while ago, um, just like how beautiful it is that dance culture has really picked up again, right. and that there are so many <laughs> like quote unquote normal people, you know, who are <laughs> yeah. excited to learn dancing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's definitely a huge, a huge plus right. for everyone. It's creating work for dancers yeah. to be teaching and, yes. and it's just, you know, spreading the love of dance, mm-hmm. which it is seems always like great. All the studios are able to survive. So that means that yeah. good. there's lots yeah. of people, there's, there's a big market for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's lots of people mm-hmm. that, um, want to take class yeah yeah and i mean like millennium and underground have really like upped their social media game right i was just gonna say (laughs) from the outside looking in like they're always on even just on facebook before they opened in toronto right everyone even i was talking to one of my girlfriends the other day about it and she was like i was talking about millennium and she's like is that the ones with the red wall yeah (laughs) and i was like yes so like yes so they branded themselves Mm -hmm. yeah you see that on Mm -hmm. facebook you see that posted everywhere Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big kind of, I think, controversial, like, issue of the day with people is, like, the use of filming in class and 
you know, because I... And putting it on social media. And putting it on social media. And the way, how much time is allotted to that per class and like who's being featured and... Right. Yeah. There's a lot of... A lot of weird feels around that. Yeah. 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 yeah, It's so interesting because I mean... How do you go about that? I... (laughs) I don't know. I... um, It's hard because I, I... appreciate and I see the value to both sides. I mean, as a business, mm-hmm. what they've done is really brilliant. You know, they, they're branding themselves so strongly, so clearly. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows who they are. Um, dancers and non-dancers. Dancers mm-hmm. and non-dancers. Um, they've created hype around like their logos and their studios right. in a way that makes people, you know, have this goal of, of getting featured and being right. in a video mm-hmm. at the end of class. And, and I do think, you know, there's a nice element of having something to work towards to be one of these people. Like, especially if you're coming to class regularly and you're working really hard and you're putting in this Mm -hmm. effort and then you get to celebrate it by being featured and filmed and you get this nice tangible thing to take home from class and be like, look what I did. You know, I think there's, there's really great stuff in that. Um, I think the the challenges that come with it include like, well, um, if you're a professional and your job is to perform, you want to be able to go to class and not perform. You want to be able to distinguish between the two. Right. right. And you want to be able to go to class in like your sweatpants and no makeup and just yeah. learn yeah. as yeah. opposed to going ready to <laughs> perform and right. be on the internet for everyone. Um, so I think that's, you know, one challenge. And the other one is, you know, how much of class is focused on the development of uh, skill and yeah. Yeah, yeah, of technique, of foundations, of across the floor, um, you know, all of these elements. And then how much is focused on perfecting something so that it can be filmed, and you so know, that within the- that hour, hour and a half time frame. Is that yeah. the best value? I, I feel like tricky. those videos that they put up mm-hmm. are really about the choreographers, right? Not about the students. Yeah, that's so, another tricky thing because I mean, with that, I hear that argument. I also see, you know, I've been in classes where the the choreographer, the teacher, does it once by themselves, and it, it inspires and lifts the class up because totally. they say, oh my God, that is what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. That is helpful for me. I'm learning from that. Now I can put that into practice. Yes. Right. But, you know, there's definitely a line, yes. right? And where does that line go if it's... And do you think that's just an argument or do you think that's actually what the choreographer is trying to do? Yeah, that's... Yeah. You could argue that some choreographers are... <laughs> more using that as an ego mm-hmm. and like just to like boost their social media following right to sure. have as much tangible evidence for them right yeah instead of like being really focused on students yeah mm-hmm. it's tricky and yeah. i think it's also yeah it's complex obviously yeah. it is it's really complex because you know as uh for the people in the city who do like specialize in teaching and running their programs they, they have to brand and advertise mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just, and then it, does it have to be in class? Is it better if it's not, or mm-hmm. is it still part of that process? I don't know. I, I think it, yeah. I think it depends a little bit on, on genre, on the people attending class and what their goals are. Um, and then the teacher and, and their relationship with their students and, and right, totally. what their goals are. But mm-hmm. 
Um, Do you feel like there's like a little bit of like a dilution of the market now that everybody is like pumping out videos for social Mm -hmm. media, Mm -hmm. you know? I think that (laughs) it's hard. I feel nervous speaking on these things because I'm like, oh, I don't want to like like, hate on anyone. Yeah. Um, Because I think everyone, you know, I don't think there's ever one right answer. But I do think one of my concerns is that um, there's a, a lack of clarity around the definition of professional artist. And I think that Mm -hmm. the tricky part about seeing all of these great, clean, fancy dance videos on Instagram is you start to think that that equals professional artists, but no one's making money. So then like, you're not paying a rent by posting. I mean, some people are, right. <laughs> yeah. you know, if you've got enough followers and, yeah. you know, and, and you're, um, yeah. have sponsorship, then maybe, yeah, yeah. but that's like, the but that's 1%. one piece of it. Yeah. And it's a very small percentage. And so I, I, the concern for me is you have people, um, kind of marketing themselves as professional artists, but they may or may not have the actual qualifications, right. um, or be putting in the time that, other professionals in the industry would consider a professional standard. Right. Um, and that I think also comes with the increase in all of these training programs, which is awesome, you know, cause they think there's really great training in the city. And I think uh, there's something really awesome about that sense of teamwork and right. community that they're creating. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just making sure that collectively as a community, we know what that standard of professionalism is. And, um, does that, and it's hard also, it's art, it's subjective, right? Like some people do this much training in this many hours and some people do something else. And what's the work that they're producing? What's their goal? What's their demographic? And what are they trying to say? What is their truth that they're communicating? Totally. And this idea (laughs) or this like idea of being an artist or definition of being artist is different for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And also like creating content, so much content Mm -hmm. that without a full synopsis or a full development of it, yeah, you're not able to really delve in and I feel like you're burning the candle on both ends Mm -hmm. Mm because how long is it how long are you going to be able to stay relevant with that same exact style yeah or output yeah Yeah. where you're just like making one minute videos for Instagram right Mm -hmm. constantly Mm -hmm. but not really putting in the work behind it right yeah or not I mean not develop it into a further idea into a production to create more jobs for more dancers you know Mm -hmm. to like give back to the community right it's kind of sometimes feels like people are just doing it to promote themselves right. and not mm-hmm. necessarily the community as a whole. Mm-hmm. Mm, I hear that. Yeah. Right. I think it's an interesting topic. Yeah, it is. And I, I don't like, I don't think there's one answer for everyone. No. And I think it's important to have, mm-hmm. you know, different people doing different things. Um, yeah. But I do think it's important to talk about. And yes. Just, and just like hear the, people's opinions. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Like not to bash social media because we use it all the time, right? And all like, the time, every day. I'm like, follow me, so or follow yeah. our new gal. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so okay, gal pal productions. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm. Yeah. Um, is there anything you want to plug though besides the one the show, show on the fifth? Yeah. Um, not really. I don't think. Um, 
this has been really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked a lot about how you felt a bit inadequate or this imposter syndrome mm-hmm. that you've challenged, mm-hmm. that's challenged you um, yeah. throughout your dancing career. At any point, has that, re- I mean, it stopped you a couple times in yes. the near future? Do you see <laughs> that happening anymore? Um, who knows? I, it's interesting because I'm at this point where I'm, um, I know I briefly mentioned I'm heading back to school. Right. What's it for? My current goal is to complete my master's in uh, psychotherapy and, uh, work to develop dance therapy programming. Um, that's a very vague long term thing. Um, and I think I've been struggling a little bit with this upcoming slash slightly in process transition because there's part of me that's questioning, you know, am I just, um, like, is this, where is this coming from? Is this need for transition coming from my desire to go into new territory or is it coming from this place of fear? Um, but I really do feel, you know, I hit a point like a couple of years ago where I felt like in many ways I'd accomplished these major goals that I dreamed about for years. And after that, I was at this point of, okay, so what's next? And this I feel is what is next for me. Cause I was really thinking about, I need dancing in my life all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, I feel like that capacity is shifting and evolving um, and I know my own journey with therapy has been so, so beneficial in so many ways. So to continue learning about the healing process and how movement can be incorporated, um, definitely feels like the right choice. I just think it's like the pacing of that transition, um, that I'm just kind of trying to sit in as I navigate it yeah yeah because there's still things like projects that come up and things that I still feel excited about so as much as I want to you know get to my next destination I'm also trying to be conscious of enjoying this unknown yeah right yeah great that's amazing <laughs> Yeah. Oh, such is my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's a good place. That's great. To stop. Sweet. It's been so nice talking to a dancer yeah. again. Oh, it's so nice talking to you guys. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. This was so amazing. Um, so you can catch you on May 5th. Yeah. May 5th, Din of Shadows right. at Array Music. Um, you can, I'll post things on my Instagram. You can find it all there. Perfect. <laughs> and your Instagram is just your love dot Mingbo. Woo. Woo. Yeah. Amazing. Um, <laughs> this has been, oh, we didn't ask the question. What was oh, the yeah. question? Is being an artist killing you? Is it, is it fucking killing you? Is it fucking yeah. killing you? <laughs> yeah. It tries to, but so far I am persevering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right it's amazing um, um please subscribe please follow, follow us. us on instagram and facebook and spotify Let's and plug our social media after we just bashed gal pal prods gal pal productions yeah. being an artist is fucking killing me yeah amazing Woo. awesome <laughs>